You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. We start this case in the summer of 2013 where we meet 17-year-old Alexis Tiara Murphy, who was getting ready to go into her senior year at Nelson County High School. Alexis lived in Shipman, Virginia with her family, a very quiet town of only about 500 people. Alexis's aunt said it was a place almost stuck in time, the quintessential small town where everyone knows everyone and not much happens. Alexis's family said she was born with bags of energy, always willing to make herself the butt of the joke to get a laugh, and was always on the go. She exuded confidence and had such a strong sense of who she was and what she was capable of that nothing could break that. Laura, Alexis's mother, had three children and Alexis was her only girl. Her extended family was big and Alexis grew up with lots of aunts, uncles and cousins around. Sports was her big passion. She danced, played softball, and had already earned a full scholarship to go to college to play volleyball the following year. And if she wasn't involved with that or with her friends, you could almost bet that she would be on social media. As quiet as her little town of Shipman was, Alexis's social media and following more than made up for it. She posted all the time, sharing everything she did and what she was up to. My jacket never wants to go right. Still ain't right. And she had amassed thousands and thousands of followers across her various platforms. Laura said her daughter was a very typical 17-year-old. Friends, fashion and her phone. Her phone was her lifeline and, by her own admission, her favourite thing in the world. Her cousin joked that she was so glued to her phone that she made sure that there was a charging cable in every room of the house because she couldn't bear the thought of her battery dying. Which is what made the events of one hot August day especially unusual and concerning. Just after 5pm, Saturday, August 3rd, 2013. Alexis returned home from work, showing everyone her new cell phone case she had just bought. Laura worked nights and was getting ready to leave, so Alexis's grandmother would be in the house with the children. It had been a swelteringly hot day, and everybody wanted to be out enjoying the weather. Alexis was no exception. School started back on Monday, and it was her last few days of freedom. Alexis, having only just got her licence and without her own car yet, borrowed her father's car to go into nearby Lynchburg, tweeting about her plans to go. She had booked to go into a salon to get her hair done for her senior year photos, and she also had some shopping to do for school. A few minutes into her drive, Alexis topped up the gas at Liberty Fuel Station, which was only a couple of minutes from her house, and headed on with her journey. But her appointment at the salon came and went. Alexis was a no-show. A few hours later, and the 17-year-old who was always online, texting and in communication, was oddly silent. Although it was a Saturday, she still had an 11pm curfew which she was always respectful of. Her grandmother had gone to bed just before this and had briefly woken up at around 1am. She saw a light coming from Alexis's room and assumed that she was home and getting ready for bed. 
but she hadn't come home. She had just left her lamp on. The following morning, everybody realised Alexis wasn't there and her father's car was not outside either. There were no missed calls from her and she wasn't answering any calls herself. By around 6.37am, everybody was up and trying to find out where she was. Without hesitation, Laura, who was on the way home from her shift, went straight to the sheriff's office and filed a missing persons report. She said it took a while to sort out because the sheriff's office had never filled out a missing persons report before. Nelson County Sheriff Investigator Billy Mays was put in charge of the case, and he seconded this, saying he couldn't remember there ever being a missing persons case to investigate in that area. Nothing ever really happened, let alone something like this. The police were concerned, given how active she was on all of her profiles, and with her family and friends via her phone. But they first had to establish that she hadn't gone off of her own accord. They questioned a few posts on her social media, but her family said it was just general teenage angst, and sometimes she had her off days. The resounding answer to the question, did she run away, was no, absolutely not. She had a great home life and circle of friends, She was ready to finish school and excited to start college. She was as sociable and online as you could possibly be. This was not someone that wanted to fall off the radar. It's clear they're taking this disappearance very seriously. And tonight, this tight-knit community is wondering what could have happened to one of their own. Everybody knows everybody, so... It's just a sense of family, and everybody is feeling this hurt and pain. Around 6 p.m. Saturday evening, 17-year-old Alexis Murphy was last seen by her family leaving her home. They say she was headed to Lynchburg to go shopping, but more than 48 hours later, she has yet to make it home, and her aunt, Angela Taylor, says that isn't like her. Completely out of character for her. If she was going to miss her curfew or be late for her curfew, she would have called. Investigator Billy Mays with the Nelson County Sheriff's Office says they started looking into her disappearance on Sunday. Now there are multiple agencies involved. Investigators spent Monday searching for Alexis by air and combing her neighborhood looking for answers. Alexis was last known to be wearing leopard print capri pants and a burgundy long-sleeved shirt. Alexis is very close to her family and has never disappeared in the past. Call the FBI, the Nelson County Sheriff's Office, to let us know any information that you may have so we can return her safely home to her family who misses her so much. It's just hard to even imagine something like this happening. You think it's everybody else's community. It'll never happen here, but it does. Alarmingly, her phone was now going straight to voicemail and there had been no use of her credit or debit cards past the point of the gas station. Her aunt used Find My iPhone to see if she could track her niece and this led police to an almost 5,000-acre estate in Arrington, Virginia, called the Oak Ridge Estate, a place used mainly for big events like weddings. This was only 10 minutes away from her house in Shipman. They combed through the area in cars, on foot and using helicopters. But the search turned up nothing, and it seemed to be on the wrong route. She would have taken Route 29 to get to Lynchburg, the quickest way, making it about a 30 to 40 minute journey for her. It was now Monday morning and the start of the new school term. Investigator Billy Mays knew he needed more resources and contacted the FBI, who immediately joined in the search. A few hours later, there were almost 100 agents on the case and hundreds of volunteers. This was really quite unprecedented and showed just how little crime there was in that area. 
but also how much people wanted to get involved and wanted to help. Social media was flooded with the hashtag FindAlexisMurphy, and her family said you couldn't scroll down your timeline for more than 10 seconds without seeing a post about her. The FBI's biggest hopes rested on Alexis's cell phone, and they were looking at the data very carefully. Had she gone to meet someone, or was secretly seeing someone? Was there a missed message? Was there someone deep in her social media that held the answer? Although it came to light she had actually made plans to meet with a man named Michael in Lynchburg that day while she was shopping, someone police said she seemed interested in, and he was interested in her. When they contacted him, he told them that, yes, they had been talking a lot, but after 6pm on that day, he hadn't heard anything from her and assumed she was ghosting him. It seemed that after she had topped up her fuel, everything had gone silent. For someone who lived her whole life through her phone, it was seeming more and more likely that something bad had happened to her, sometime shortly after she left the gas station. Experts looked at the route she would have taken that day, Route 29, and noted that it had been the scene of some mysterious disappearances and crimes over the years, and some very highly publicised cases had happened there a matter of years apart from each other. In addition to Murphy's disappearance near Lovingston, Deshaun Sage Smith disappeared from Charlottesville in 2012, Samantha Clark from Orange in 2010, Morgan Harrington from Charlottesville in 2009, and Alicia Showalter Reynolds and Anne Carolyn McDaniel from the Culpeper area in 1996. Those two cases were at the time of the Route 29 stalker attacks, where more than a dozen women driving along Route 29 reported being stopped by a man who flagged them down. All of them got away except Reynolds, whose remains were found a few miles off the highway. Another missing person that picked up national traction was 20-year-old Morgan Dana Harrington, a case many of you are probably familiar with, and one we did an episode on a while back. She was last seen around the John Paul Jones Arena while attending a Metallica concert in 2009. She had vanished that night before her body was found, three months later. Her case at the point Alexis went missing was still unsolved. The John Paul Jones Arena sits right by Route 29. Police wondered, was this all a tragic coincidence, or was this the work of a serial killer? Her aunt said nothing was off-limits in terms of possibilities. She said, did she have a stalker online? Was it somebody she went to school with? Is it somebody we know? A human being just disappeared from the face of the earth. You're going to think a lot of things and grab whatever possibility is available. Alexis's family started working closely with Help Save the Next Girl, an organisation set up by Morgan Harrington's parents, and Alexis's name and information were circulating quicker than ever. Her case had really taken over the media, and this small community was now the centre of a huge investigation. On day three of the search, the police finally got their first big break. And we continue to follow developing news on a missing girl in Virginia. The Albemarle County Sheriff's Office confirms the car they found does belong to 17-year-old Alexis Murphy. They found it in a movie theater parking lot off Route 29 in Charlottesville, but still no sign of the teen. The car Alexis had been driving, her father's white 2003 Nissan Maxima, was found unattended in the old Carmike Cinema parking lot just outside of Charlottesville. They opened it with immense trepidation, and investigator Billy Mays admitted his heart was in his mouth as he was fearing finding her in the trunk. But the car was totally empty. Where it was parked, 
was 39 miles north of the Liberty gas station. Lynchburg was in totally the opposite direction, so finding the car here was very unexpected and had widened the search area extensively. Surveillance footage in the area where the car was found showed an unidentifiable individual parking the car, but there was no way they could tell who it was. They began on the vehicle and some unknown DNA was found inside, but they had nothing to bounce it off just yet. Officers finally got hold of the CCTV from the gas station, the last known place Alexis was seen. The employee said they remembered Alexis coming in that evening. When asked if anything had stood out to them, they said no. They had met her before, and given what they knew about her, she appeared perfectly fine. She wasn't distressed or visibly upset, and she was not being followed by anyone, and she didn't seem to be in a rush. Police watched the tapes and noticed that as she had entered, a man held the door open for her. Employees knew right away who he was. He was a regular too. 48-year-old Randy Taylor. They said they hadn't heard the conversation, but they saw them chatting briefly outside after Alexis paid for her fuel and left. Was it just friendly and generic small talk, or was there more to this? The surveillance footage then showed her car leaving the parking lot, right behind Randy's camouflaged SUV. As the police set about trying to find Randy Taylor, the FBI was still tracking previous pings on her phone. As they drove down the long and rural roads getting closer to where some of the pings had been coming from, they finally reached a little place with some derelict buildings, overgrown woodland, lots of litter, tyres and various bits of furniture and the likes that people had dumped there over the years. In terms of where the phone could be pinging, this was quite an alarming place. When they got through the brambles, they noticed a familiar vehicle nearby, a camouflaged SUV they had found none other than Randy Taylor's camper van. Randy was home, and he opened the door, happy to talk. He denied ever being at Liberty Gas Station seeing Alexis Murphy or knowing who she was. Although it was possible he had forgotten seeing Alexis that day, they now knew he frequented the gas station a lot, so that seemed like an odd lie to tell. Police asked if they could come in for a quick look around, and Randy stepped aside. They presented him with the surveillance footage evidence, and then he had a change of story. Now he claimed he had met and spoken to Alexis that day, and that she had been with another male. He said they were both parked to the gas pumps, and Alexis made reference to smoking marijuana. Randy told her he'd like to buy some, and she allegedly said, I know a guy. He described him as a black male, mid to late 20s, with cornrows, driving a 20-year-old burgundy caprice with 22-inch wheels. Randy said they went to his camper to smoke weed and drink beer, although Alexis didn't have anything. After this, Alexis and the mystery man had both left in separate cars, He said Alexis was chatty and happy, and he watched them both pull away. This story already seemed strange to the officers, and the employees at the gas station did not mention a third person outside, but they pushed to find more. Randy said the man was named Damien. 
Before they left, the officers saw a twinkling on the carpet. It was a diamond stud, either an earring or a nose ring, they thought. They also found a snapped-off fake fingernail next to it. On one of his pillows, they noticed a long, dark-coloured strand of hair. It was still attached to the root, and it looked as if it had been pulled out, as opposed to naturally falling out. They bagged everything up and sent it off for testing, but they did not have enough to search any further or ask him to come to the station. However, his weird lie and what they had found had definitely made him a person of interest and someone to watch. To their shock, they were able to track a Damien down who was on Alexis's social media. He worked at the McDonald's right next to the Liberty gas station and had gone to the same school as Alexis. Damien said he did know her as he was actually dating her cousin at the time. But not only did the description Randy gave not match him at all, he didn't drive the same car and his alibi was solid. Damien was out of state at the time, in an Alabama hotel with his girlfriend. He was shocked at the story and told police that even if he did have any intention of selling drugs to Randy, he would have just given them to him then and there. He wouldn't have ever driven to a random stranger's property. But just to be safe, officers took a DNA sample from him. And with that, as quickly as the police had spoken to him, they were able to totally rule him out. Although they wondered how Randy could have known Damien's name to even mention it, they determined that most people tended to see the same regulars as each other. Everybody said the gas station and the McDonald's next to it was like a hub for a lot of people. It was where everyone met up and hung out, especially after school. It was entirely possible that Randy had just remembered his name from seeing him around and dropped it in to get the police to leave. Investigator Billy Mays requested help via the FBI in getting a fast turnaround on the stud, the nail and the strand of hair and he was promised it would be with them within 48 hours. A rapid speed for DNA testing and thankfully so as there was still a chance that if Randy was involved he could pack up and leave town sharpish. This at least reduced that time down. It's been six days since Alexis Murphy disappeared from a gas station near Charlottesville. Uh, the 17-year-old's car has since been found, but no sign of Alexis. And now time is of the essence, and the FBI is hoping surveillance pictures will help speed up the search. The investigators say even though it's been almost a week, they're not slowing down their search. They're leaving this command center behind me, searching by foot, searching by helicopter, also going over credit card transactions. Now, investigators have been focusing their search along that country road where that last cell phone signal came from, and then across Route 29 from there in a wooded area. It's an old logging road. That's where they've been focusing their search so far. Another search happening a few counties away also today. No, we can't give up hope. We rely on each other. We rely on our faith in God and that he is with her wherever she is and that he's keeping her safe and he's going to help her find her way home. So far, the only person that was raising eyebrows was Randy. A further look into his background found that he had a criminal record spanning across two decades. He was convicted of statutory burglary and grand larceny in 1992 and was sentenced to 10 years, serving about six before he got out. He was also convicted of arson in 2005 and given a two-year suspended sentence and ordered to pay just over $6,000 in restitution, but his suspended sentence was revoked in 2011 after he failed to pay this restitution. Employees that often served him at the gas station said he always bought the same beer and cigarettes from them. They said he would sit in his SUV for hours, just smoking and watching people come in and out. 
paying extra attention to teenage girls. The word they used was gawk, and he would often park up just as students in school were getting out. One employee said he was so creepy, he was the last person you'd want to be alone with, she said. They traced Randy's movements on the evening Alexis went missing, and he was tracked going into an Applebee's restaurant at around 10pm. The bartender said he had turned up looking sweaty and out of sorts. He asked for two beers and help ordering a cab to get back home, telling a weird story about his drunk friend that needed help outside, but the bartender said there was no one there apart from him. This strange encounter was just 15 minutes after Alexis Murphy's vehicle was seen pulling into the Carmike parking lot, a parking lot within walking distance of Applebee's. Randy then got a cab back to Nelson County, but he refused to provide the name of the person or the company he had used. But how did he get there in the first place? It was pointing to him having driven Alexis's car, dumped it, and then attempted to give himself an alibi. It has been eight days now since anyone has seen 17-year-old Alexis Murphy. As the investigation ramped up even more... On day eight of the search, the community gathered for a vigil for the 17-year-old. Wants Alexis Murphy home. There are literally right now people praying all over the world, thousands in number. Under rain-soaked skies, a flood of umbrellas covered the roughly 400 attendees who came together for the first time publicly to pray for Alexis's safe return. Her volleyball teammates began their season wearing ribbons in their hair, emblazoned with Alexis's name and her number nine on them. Although the unknown DNA in her car came back as not a match to Randy, authorities were still all over his camper and the surrounding area. This was the only place so far they had found anything. Investigators brought in specialised canines, trained to search for and find cell phones. They are trained to pick up on the sense of the adhesive used in the manufacturing process. In less than an hour, Alexis's smashed white iPhone was found in the bushes. Sure enough, it was right by Randy's camper, just feet away. The testing done on the strand of hair, the diamond stud and the fingernail came back within the two days promised. They were all a match to Alexis Murphy. The stud was later determined to be the one she wore above her lip. Alexis's aunt said you don't just rip your own piercings out or fingernails off. This could only have happened through force. Even with this presented to him, he was still denying any involvement and said she had left his property that evening and she was fine. But investigators said the state of the camper van, how isolated everything was and Randy's general demeanour when they spoke to him made the hair on the back of their neck stand up. They described it as like something out of a horror film. He was a very unsettling person to be around. Although everybody admitted that hope of finding her alive and well was starting to fade, her family weren't stopping with their media rounds, hoping this could all be easily explained. Shipman was such a small place that certain faces did stick with you and you ran into the same people a lot. And when Alexis's family caught on to the fact that Randy was a person of interest in her disappearance they actually even recognised his face themselves. He used to work in a used car dealership near to them. Alexis's aunt had even bought a car from him years before, and Laura said she had seen his distinct SUV driving past the house many times. 
the investigating team did not want to waste any more time and risk the chance of Randy taking off. So, 11 days into the search for Alexis... Arrest in the abduction of Alexis Murphy. Police arrested Randy Taylor in the girl's disappearance, a man with a lengthy criminal history. There is a very, very active investigation going on in this area right now. Just after the announcement of that arrest being made, I had a chance to speak with family members, and they say the announcement of arrest was a little bit bittersweet. The whole entire room just went silent for about three minutes, and we were just looking around like... Okay, how are we supposed, supposed to feel, feel about yeah, this? Yeah, like we didn't know how to feel. So. We were waiting for that next and we have and, Alexis. Yeah. Um, we didn't get that, but, you know, again, we are one step closer. We know that she is one step closer to being home. We're after our golden prize, which is her. I mean, this is obviously a major break in the case. So, of course, we're elated. We could rule out what I'm sure a lot of people had in their mind and a lot that I've been reading on social media. You know, maybe she just ran away. Maybe she doesn't want to be found. And the, as a family, we've always known that that was not the case. And the fact that they've made an arrest and we know that she truly was abducted um, kind of vindicates her in some way. If you're out there, Alexis, you can hear me. We're coming for you. They arrested and later charged him with abduction. When police turned up at his camper, they said he looked like a ghost, a deer in the headlights. I don't think Randy expected the rain of hell that came down on him as fast as it came down. Hey, I know I got a gag order, but I'm trying to talk to you. I want to come to the jail. Lead investigator Billy Mays said he knew in his gut that Alexis was dead and that Randy was her killer. He needed the truth and he needed to find her body. He said he asked Randy where her body was over and over and at one point said only an animal would do something like that. He said Randy lost it and started slamming the table. He was so aggressive that guards had to detain him. Billy said he saw with his own eyes a scary shift in a split second. He said, I wanted the jury to see how he could go from being this nice, sweet little man to, I will kill you right now. He felt he had enough to charge him with murder, but he wouldn't have enough to convict him. He needed more. A second and more intensive look around the camper and adjoining house really made their stomachs drop. Under his couch... Police found the same T-shirt he was seen wearing at the gas station. It had blood on it, and when they held it up, they realised that some things were wrapped inside. Fake eyelashes and dark hair extensions, which had been ripped out with force, fell out and onto the floor. This, along with the broken fingernail and the lip stud, told a tale of a horrifying attack having taken place. In the derelict property that sat just next to his camper, they also found a scrapbook with pictures of naked women. Disturbingly, he had cut the heads out and replaced them with who turned out to be his co-worker's young daughter. Everything they had found in his camper was soon linked to Alexis through DNA testing, including the blood on his shirt. While in custody held without bond, Randy was still maintaining Alexis was with Damien that day but police knew everything he was saying was convoluted and ridiculous. A difficult conversation was had with Alexis's family as they learned the news that authorities wanted to charge Randy with Alexis's murder. Her family agreed and gave the go-ahead, despite knowing this meant she wasn't going to come home. 
New developments tonight in the disappearance of Alexis Murphy. Today, the person of interest in her case, Randy Taylor, was indicted for murder. The return of indictments only means that the grand jury found probable cause exists for the charges that I mentioned and that Randy Taylor should go on trial for those charges. This is a felony, and because of this charge, you have the right to an attorney. Do you understand what I've explained to you? Yes. Do you wish to have an attorney to represent you? Yes. Seize, take, transport, detain, or secrete Alexis Tierra Murphy. In January 2014, Randy Taylor's charges were upgraded. He was soon indicted on charges of first-degree murder and abduction with intent to defile. Billy Mays, along with other officers, felt that this was a sexually motivated crime. They said 45 minutes before he saw Alexis at the gas station, he had been in a store to rent some adult X-rated films, and experts felt this could further have fueled whatever he might have been feeling or thinking about when he saw Alexis. And given the fact that he was always lurking in the gas station and following teenage girls around, and the scrapbook they found in his property, they felt this was a fair assumption to make about what could have motivated him. Were you surprised how much evidence was found in the camper days later? Yeah. And why um, do you think all that evidence was still there? The fact that they were there, I think, goes back to the the fact that he's he's a sexual sadist. I mean, people like that like to keep a souvenir of some sort. And I, I really don't think he had any intentions of getting rid of any of that. Detectives wondered if he had offered to sell her some weed, which is how she ended up at his place. But his intention was to have sex with her, and when she refused, he attacked and killed her. But her family weren't convinced about the drugs theory, and they definitely did not believe she would have set up any kind of deal, as Randy was claiming. Her aunt said, I'm not trying to portray that Alexis is perfect or an angel by any means, but there's a difference in casually, maybe occasionally, or you tried weed, to facilitating a drug deal with a total stranger. We will never know for sure what happened and why or how she ended up there. Although it seemed to be a strong case, they still had no body, and a no-body conviction is, for obvious reasons, significantly harder to achieve in court. Not impossible, but the prosecution were up against it. They had to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Alexis was most definitely deceased, but they could not prove a cause of death, nor a time of death, and that threw everything about the supposed timeline into question, something which the defence jumped on. Randy's lawyers were still pushing the narrative that someone else was involved, and even put forward a theory that she could have been trafficked. They put forward motions to suppress search warrant information too, and at one point even suggested that the police planted Alexis's hair and blood in his camper. It was a tough two-week trial, and people really did not know what the outcome would be. A wave of relief and also surprise flooded the courtroom when Randy Taylor was convicted of both abduction with intent to defile and first-degree murder. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a long 10 months and an even longer six days. But we appreciate the jury's decision. Wherever Alexis is, she can be at peace now. It's pretty nerve-wracking, but, um, you know, clearly they reached the right decision. So, I mean, we could stand here all day and not give out enough thank yous, um, especially to the law enforcement team um, that was put together, to the Commonwealth attorney who... Um, 
just delivered this case amazingly and it's it's just to everyone to this community um, to our extended family friends strangers people that don't know us um, just thank you A couple of months later, while awaiting sentencing, he also pleaded guilty to larceny in an unrelated case. Before Randy Allen Taylor was told his fate, from prison, he even gave an interview. No, I did not kill Alexis Murphy or hurt Alexis Murphy. Do you know where she is? No, sir, I do not. And do you know what happened to her? No, sir, I do not. There's just too many things that haven't been told for me to be convicted of murder of Alexis Murphy. You can ask anybody that knows me, anybody in this jail, or anybody around here. I'm not an outspoken person. I'm not a violent person. I haven't been mean to nobody or disrespectful to anybody in here. Uh, it's what the Commonwealth's painted the story of me to be, and, and I'm not that person. I smoked marijuana before, and she had asked me about smoking marijuana before, and that's all we were mainly talking about. But he maintains a third person, Damian Bradley, was also involved, despite Bradley's testimony in court that he's never met Taylor. I'm quite surprised, because that's not what happened. He knows what happened. He knows he was there. Taylor remains in jail, awaiting his formal sentencing this summer, but he says he's going to fight for his innocence. Justice has not been done. There's two families hurting here now, her family and my family. And there's still no justice. There's still no closure. Until Alexis is found or returned to her family, and I'm free of these charges, there's no closure here. Suddenly, his lawyers wanted to talk to the judge. They said that Randy, the man who had been denying everything for almost a year, would be willing to tell them where she was in exchange for 20 years in prison. But the prosecution said not only did they not trust him, Alexis's life was worth more than 20 years. And with the blessing of the Murphy family, who still desperately wanted answers, this was denied. We have this breaking news in the Alexis Murphy murder case. Randy Taylor was just sentenced to two life sentences for the murder and abduction of the Virginia teenager. Murphy was Randy was instead handed two life sentences with no possibility of parole. As good as Alexis's family were feeling about the conviction, it still did not give them the answers they needed. The search had not just come to an end, they still needed to know where she was. Her mom said, My whole world revolved around finding her and bringing her home. We get up, we cry and pray and do it all over again. A feeling I wouldn't even wish on Randy Taylor. Nelson County say they have a new person of interest in the disappearance of 17-year-old Alexis Murphy. DNA tests are now underway to determine whether the disappearance of three different women in the Charlottesville area could all be linked to Jesse Matthew Jr. It comes as we await word on whether remains found over the weekend are those of a missing Alexandria teenager, Hannah Graham. Upon his conviction and sentencing, Randy's lawyer started pushing for someone else to be investigated. Remember earlier in the episode when we mentioned Morgan Harrington's case? Well, the man Randy was now referring to was Jesse Matthew Jr. The person who was finally convicted of the murders of both Hannah Graham and later Morgan Harrington. As Jesse Matthew Jr. was now a convicted killer, speculation and rumours started to circulate. Did they have the wrong man locked up? Both Hannah and Morgan went missing in Charlottesville, right where Alexis's car was found. 
Morgan went missing in 2009, then Alexis in 2013, and Hannah in 2014. But detectives were sceptical and said it was only after Jesse was in the media did Randy ever mention him. He had been so quick and confident to give Damien's name, so why hadn't he with Jesse, if this really was the person responsible and someone he had met? They also said it was hard to believe he could get Damien and Jesse so easily confused when they looked absolutely nothing alike. But even Jesse Matthew Jr. did not match the description Randy gave. His hair was totally different, and he drove a different vehicle to the one Randy said he saw. Although the Murphy family said they didn't believe it was Jesse, they agreed for DNA testing to be done to get to the bottom of Randy's claims. Trina Murphy is convinced that Taylor killed her niece, but she supports the DNA tests. There's been other cases that took precedence, and I'm okay with that. You know, Hannah Graham was the next girl, and I wanted precedence on her and her found so that her family doesn't have to wait the 15 months that we did or we have. The discovery of remains in the Hannah Graham case has increased the hope that Murphy's body will eventually be found and that has prompted an expansion of the search into Orange County and elsewhere. It's been described by somebody as a needle in a haystack. It it has been um, and unfortunately we can't find the haystack to start looking for the needle. Nelson County investigator Billy Mays says there will be more resources available now to do a wider search. We hope that uh, that we'll be able to have the same success that they've had in locating a, a body. But the DNA inside the car did not match Jesse, and none of Jesse's DNA was found inside Randy's camper either. Jesse Matthew Jr. was completely ruled out of Alexis's case but he is someone the police continue to look into and believe he is connected to more offences. In a statement, the investigating team said, In an effort to be completely thorough and in accordance with FBI laboratory procedures, a DNA scientist also compared Matthew's DNA profile from evidence collected in 2013, both from inside Randy Taylor's camper and his GMC Suburban. Matthew again was excluded as a source of DNA from all of that evidence. In light of all of the facts mentioned above, and now the added scientific testing that has excluded Jesse, law enforcement affirms its earlier conclusion that there is no credible evidence linking Jesse Matthew to the abduction and murder of Alexis Murphy. This was something that Alexis's family said came as no surprise, and only further cemented what they suspected about Randy Taylor. A liar until the end. Trina, Alexis's aunt, said he needs to do the right thing and stop pointing the finger at other people. We've cleared two other people that he said was involved. It's time for him to step up and do the right thing, admit to what he's done and tell us where she is. As Randy Taylor sat in jail, Alexis's family attended her graduation and accepted her diploma on her behalf. More than 140 students at Nelson County High School yesterday, but her family stood in her place to receive her diploma presented by the school principal and the county superintendent. We knew that this day was coming, so we were happy to know that the school wanted to present something and that, you know, the community is still behind our family 110% showed support by wearing ribbons in Murphy's favorite color, pink, and also decorating their caps with her name. He has appealed his sentence twice, but both were denied. On December 3rd, 2020, 
seven years after Alexis was last seen, and six years since Randy was sentenced, a discovery was made that many feared might never happen. Breaking news out of Nelson County this afternoon. Investigators have found the remains of Alexis Murphy. Human remains were recovered at the side of a mountain near Stagebridge Road, just off of Route 29 and close to where Randy Taylor lived. Randy had finally led authorities to a private property in Livingston and it was here they found human remains. He said were Alexis. An attorney said, I can emphatically state that we didn't negotiate nor talk with Mr Taylor. We don't negotiate with murderers. We don't reduce their sentencing. A couple of months later, they were positively identified as Alexis Murphy. Laura said it wasn't the news we wanted, but it was the closure we needed. Alexis's cause of death was later determined to be asphyxiation, and the autopsy report also highlighted evidence of trauma and injuries consistent with a violent altercation prior to her death. But Randy's story was not over. Alexis's disappearance is not the only one in which he was and is suspected. Another name we mentioned earlier was 19-year-old Samantha Clark. Brandy was also a suspect in her 2010 disappearance. She vanished on the 13th of September 2010 whilst on a night out. Brandy was on the police's radar right away back then and he admitted he was at the same bar that same night and ran in her circle of friends. Samantha's mother Barbara, along with the police, always believed that Randy, by all accounts, was the last person to see her daughter. He had called her house several times that day and lived in the same trailer park at the time. This was all just a short drive away from where Alexis was last seen. He always denied having anything to do with Samantha being missing. A short while after Alexis's remains were found, Orange County investigators announced that Samantha Clark's missing persons case was now an abduction and murder case, and that Randy Taylor was still being looked at and could face charges at some point. Samantha's case is still active. In 2023, it had been 10 years since Alexis was last seen by her family and the community came together to remember her. I'm feeling sad and happy at the same time. Um, sad because we don't have her, but happy that 10 years that we have all these people to still come out to remember her. I know that she's at peace. Yes, we grieve her. Yes, we miss her. Yes, we love her. We always will. But walk away today, 10 years later, after this horrible tragedy, and if you don't have peace, find it. Even to this day, like, you know, people still talk about Alexis. Like, they still reach out, not only impacted just us, but, like, it affected that entire community. Given the state of Randy's camper and everything that was found, it was safe to assume that Alexis died in a terrifying way, but police still have no clue what really happened and why. 17-year-old Alexis was on her way to do some shopping and get ready for her last year of school. It was an exciting time for her, with everything to look forward to. Although nothing can ever ease her family's pain, they say they are eternally grateful to everyone for never stopping in their search to find Alexis, so she could be laid to rest. And with this, there is a small sense of closure, a resolution to something that for seven years was in an agonising limbo. They said, you all kept the promise made in 2013 to bring Alexis home. 
We are blessed to have loved her for 17 years, and her memory will continue to live on through us all. And in the words of Alexis herself, they ask that everyone always remembers to keep hope alive. Thank you.